That's awesome. It's good. I told Nick this week, sometimes when it comes to worship, like I just want to sing songs with the same few lines over and over. Let my brain get into neutral so that my heart can just connect with God. And even as we were singing that, there was a line in there. I've sung that song probably a hundred times in my life, but the idea of like, so set a fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. That is a crazy line because I think of what most of religion does, or at least in my experience, me personally, is I want a, enough of God that I can control him. Not so much that I can't control it and then he's just controlling me. And boy, what a powerful line to sing over and over. I love it. Uh, if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 5. Um, let me make sure I'm adjusting this the correct way here. Hey, if you didn't notice, if you came in, I'm not sure what the outside setup is, but we're going to start doing coffee and stuff outside on Sunday mornings. Miles, I saw you got coffee this morning. Good to go. Yep, caffeinated. So if you can, you know, I know that if we said this week, we were like, if the church starts at 1015, everyone will get here at 1016. If we, if the church starts at 1027, everyone will get here at 1028. It's just how it works. It's human nature, right? And so, but if you want to get here early on Sunday mornings, like it would be great if we can just hang out outside until the, you know, the weather turns nasty. And I would love to just spend some time out there with you in the morning and see your smiling faces and all of that. But man, that, I appreciate the team that's doing that. And the goal this fall is to make sure that from the, where people park, which can be a headache, to the moment that they sit down in here, that they have a good experience. And so part of the food or the coffee outside is trying to add to that. And I love the people who are volunteering to do that. So uh, most people who come to follow Christ, which is most of you in the room, come to do so in one of two ways. See if one of these ways connects more for your experience than the other one, all right? Way one is that they just we just hear it we hear the gospel, we hear that Jesus, that people sin and Jesus died on the cross so that he can forgive our sins and we can have relationship with God. They hear that, it makes sense, and they receive it joyfully and quickly. Uh, a lot of times that's how uh, we'll see kids, like people who come to faith early in life, like children and uh, even young teenagers will come to faith that way. And also people who may be uh, very trusting. Some of you are more trustful than others. Uh, and then also people who are desperate. Like, man, when you get desperate and, and Christ meets you, you can come quickly to Christ, right? The other way I think people will come to meet Christ is more of the process. This is for more of the cynics in the room. I don't know if any of you are cynical. I tend to be what I would call a realist. My wife says I'm a pessimist. The difference between a realist and a pessimist is that human nature proves the realist is right. Uh, and so, right, like, uh, so for the people who are cynics and realists, pessimists, who are very factual and analytical, it can be a process. We've got some head objections. We've got to work through. We've got some heart objections, maybe some past experiences. And then we've got some will objections. Like, am I really going to follow Jesus, like, with my life? And it's a process for some people. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand high, just lift a finger. How many of you are more the trusting it was easier for you to joyfully receive Christ. How many of you are like that? Yep, okay. How many of you were more cynical? It was a bit more of a process for you. You had to check the facts. Yep, great. That's awesome. Uh, I, I think the cool thing is, personally, I don't know if you're like this. Personally, I love the people who are number one. 
joyfully receive Jesus. Like as a pastor, that's always the most amazing thing. But I can relate to the number two people, the cynics and the pessimists. Like I can relate to that the older and older I get. The problem, if you've ever watched a gospel movie, like if you've ever seen a movie about Jesus, uh, especially an old one where he looks like the Swedish beauty pageant winner, you know, with the blonde flowing hair and the white robe and the sash. The problem with those movies is when you see people come to follow Jesus in those movies, usually the the disciples look like they've been abducted by aliens. Jesus will be like, hello, brothers, come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they're like, 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 like tractor beams in their eyes and like, okay, Jesus. And they leave everything. And that is just so divorced from most of our experience, right? Like, I don't know if you've ever seen one of those movies where Jesus has got the sash and all the whole thing and they just, everybody follows and there's no problems with it. It, to me, it just looks ridiculous. Um, and I think that it makes it, um, difficult for some people to feel like their faith is genuine because they struggle with realism or pessimism, right? We're cynical. We're slower. We need to work through the process. The problem is that's not exactly how those first followers came to Jesus. That's just movies picking one passage and not really doing business for what the Bible really says. So and most of us don't work like that. The disciples don't work like that. Some of our people started school in the last few weeks. I know we've got some high schoolers, got some people doing some college and graduate stuff. How many of you got a syllabus on your first day of school? Did anybody get syllabi? I love saying syllabi. Uh, how many of you went home on your first night and did everything in the syllabus? Like you show up for the second day, you've knocked it all out, you're ready for the final, good to go. Nobody does that. Nobody responds that quickly. How many of you have ever seen a for sale or for rent sign and like just put in an offer on the house, didn't look at it, didn't do a walkthrough, no inspector, no Zillow check, no trying to figure anything out? Nobody does that. Nobody does that. That's not how our brains or hearts work. How many of you went on one date and proposed marriage to the person or envisioned yourself doing it that way? Miles, is that how Miles did it? Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, no, most, most people, unlike Miles, will, will Facebook stalk the person that you're kind of interested in or you Google them. Like, have you ever, be honest, how many of you Googled a person that you went on a date with? Or in, Yeah, totally. A couple honest people in the room. That's good. Like, are we run the person through the ringer. That first date can feel a bit like an interview when you're dating, you know? Like, you're trying to figure out where is the weird thing that I can't find yet about this person. And so it's similar with Jesus. Like, Jesus is totally worthy and trustworthy, but we probably should verify. Jesus is totally worthy and trustworthy, but for most people, it's a process in coming to follow him. And for people in our neighborhood and in our city in 2021, a lot of times that process is long and we want to journey with them through the process, okay? So Luke 5, 1 through 11, I think we're going to put the scriptures up here behind me. I'm going to read you uh, the story of the first disciples coming to follow Jesus. Here we go. Now, on one occasion, and so this is early in Luke. This is the beginning of Jesus' teaching ministry. He hadn't done a whole lot of miracles, hadn't done a whole lot, but he's been teaching a little because these people seem to, the people who are overhearing seem to know who he is, and he's got a bit of a crowd. So on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Now, uh, I don't know how, a lot of you probably know this. During the first great awakening, the crescendo of the first great awakening was George Whitfield preaching at the common. George Whitfield, with no amplification, preached to 27,000 people on the Boston Common in the 1700s, right? Like, think about that. 
27,000 people with no amplification whatsoever. Uh, Jesus is in a similar scenario. Obviously, he doesn't have amplification. So what Jesus would often do would be that he would preach or teach at the bottom of a hill and the crowd would sit on the hill, which was natural amplification. If you had water around you, the acoustics apparently were even better. And so Jesus is teaching. The crowd is just growing larger and larger, and they're beginning to push him into the water, and that's where he finds himself. He's standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, also Peter, he asked him to put out a little bit from the land, and he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon Peter, Put out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, and this is one of those great moments, by the way, in Scripture, where you can't get the tone, like because the Bible doesn't come with emojis, uh, you don't get the attitude with which Peter is saying this. But there's a bit of sarcasm in this when he says, Master, probably. He says, Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish. They're not fishing with rods. Obviously, they're fishing with nets. They're pulling the nets in. And there's so many fish, it says their nets were breaking at the end of verse 6. Verse 7. And they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came out, and they filled both of the boats so that the boats began to sink. My worst nightmare, by the way, like I want to uh, kayak and do all that stuff in the Charles. Natalie loves doing that, but I'm always afraid that I'm going to begin to sink and then I'm going to be swimming in the Charles River. And so we don't go on that date often enough. Verse eight. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus's knees saying, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. Professional fishermen were shocked at the number of fish that just got caught. Like, let that sort of sink in for just a moment. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men, or you'll be catching people. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything, and they followed him. All right, that feels a bit more like a process. Do you see that that is a little different than follow me and I will make you fishers of men and they get beamed in and they drop their nets. There's a bit more of a process here. Let's walk through the process. So Jesus is teaching beside these fishermen and net washing is apparently their daily business. I think that your nets would rot in the ancient Near East if you didn't take care of them and clean them every single day. So after a night of fishing, Peter and James and John are there and they're cleaning their nets. This is their daily routine. And Jesus is teaching right beside them. I can just see, I can envision this scene of being like, why is this guy here doing this thing right now? Why do these people like him? Why is he in the middle of this? They've just had a crappy night of fishing, but the acoustics in the space are perfect. And so Jesus gets into his boat. All right. So Jesus is now in his boat and he's teaching. And so in verse four, um, he gets done preaching. He's done teaching. The crowds begin to disperse. And Jesus says, hey, let's go. Let's go. Let's go have a fish. Now, my son Noah loves to fish. Do any of you like to fish? No. Dang it. Mark. 
Ryan, Ryan, can you and Noah like work something out? Because Noah loves fishing. Usually when he asks to fish, I'm like, I just want to sit. I hate fishing. You have to be quiet. I don't like doing that. You have to be patient. I hate doing that. And so Natalie and Noah are amazing fishing buddies and they go and catch amazing fish and do awesome with it. I feel like Peter, I get it. Like Jesus is like, hey, Peter, let's go for let's go catch some fish. And Peter's like, ugh, ugh. Because Jesus is a carpenter, not a fisherman. And so Jesus, this carpenter teacher, is telling this professional fisherman, after a really terrible night, let's go for a fish. And so in verse 5, Peter says, Master. Now this is where you need the sarcasm emoji. Because in calling him master or teacher or rabbi, Peter's essentially saying, hey, run in your lane, preacher. Run your lane, preacher. Nick built these cabinets this week. We were talking this morning, Renee was, there's going to be six of these and they're going to be painted white. When we do the Through Our Eyes project, we'll be able to hang the photos on them. Like this morning, Renee was like, Nick, I, I didn't think you could build like that. Like you strike me as more the music guy, not also the carpenter guy, right? Nick is incredibly versatile. He is a Renaissance man. We are really gifted that God has called him here. He built these walls. And the guys who run this place came in one day and freaked out. Their eyes got really huge because they had thought that he had nailed each one of these boards into these walls. And he goes, no, there's only seven screws in the wall. Like Nick came up with a concept to do this. And the guys were like, well, that's really impressive. They were surprised at that. And then I'll tell you a funny story. I'm way off the notes right now. One of the guys goes, yeah, but sometimes we do fundraisers and like, we don't want to offend anybody with this. And Nick comes and just grabs the cross, which is literally held up here by two, two tiny hooks and goes, oh, you mean this? And just takes it off the wall. And the guy's like, yeah, that. And Nick's like, we can hide that behind the wall if that will offend somebody. He came up with this concept to do every bit of this stuff. And he's building that. And he's incredibly gifted. Me? Not so much. Not so much. I would build that table. Do you remember in the office when Michael Scott builds that little table that's terrible? Like, that would be me in the dinner party episode. Like, I don't have that much talent. I really don't. So when Peter says, Master, we fished all night, what he's essentially saying is, hey, preacher, run in your lane. What do you know about fishing? Heard you build a nice table, but don't know, carpenter, teacher, man, what you know about fishing. And so he says, we went all night and we took nothing. We fished all night and we took nothing. These are people whose career is catching fish and he's gone all night and he's annoyed. He's probably really tired and he's disappointed and he's had the worst night of his career. What's the, can, if I say, what's the worst day in your professional career or the worst day in your school career? Can you think of it? Like if you're a fisherman and you catch zero fish, that's either a tie for the worst night of your career or that is the worst night of your career. And so here's this guy and he says, run in your lane, preacher. I'm tired. We just had the worst night of our career, but he doesn't. He says, um, instead he says, okay, but because you say it, I'll go do it. Because you say it, even in the midst of the worst night of our fishing career, I'll do it. I'll tell you, failure can cause us to 
um, get stuck or to play the victim or to feel unworthy and not go where Jesus intends. The worst day of our faith journey can cause us to get stuck. And Jesus meets us at the worst day in the worst place. And he says, let's go for a fish. And if we're not careful, the worst days of our life or our faith journey can cause us to feel unworthy or get stuck and not go where Jesus intends. Jesus meets us on the worst days of our lives. He meets us there. Then six uh, and seven, I love it. They trust the carpenter teacher, now fisherman, uh, and they have the greatest catch of their career. Their nets are tearing. They clean the nets every morning so the nets don't tear. And yet here the nets are tearing, the boats are sinking, and they've just made a fortune. So what was the worst day of their career has now just become the greatest day of their career. Think about how fast their fortunes have turned. Success, Henry Blackaby says, success where we are can be the greatest hindrance to going where Jesus wants us to be. So if the worst day can cause us to get stuck, you know what? The best days can also cause us to get stuck if we're not careful. And Jesus meets Peter on both his worst and his best day. And so what happens? Now, if I were Peter, I would say, dude, turns out you know something about fishing. You want to go in business? We'll call this Simon and Jesus Fishing Company, and we're going to do really well here. That would be what I would do. Like, this is going to be the JD and Jesus Fishing Company, and we're on to something here. Like, we are about to make a lot of money. But that's not what Peter does at all. What's he do? He says, go away from me, Lord. Go away from me, Lord, because I'm a sinful man. Now, it's pretty interesting to me that the first time he addresses Jesus, he just calls him master, teacher, rabbi. And what's he call him here? Lord. Go away from me, Lord. Jesus meeting him at his worst day and still loving him. And Jesus meeting him at his best day and not letting him, him be defined by his success has now is turning the heart of Peter. So now he goes from calling him teacher to Lord. It's that set of fire down in my soul that I can't contain and I can't control. Jesus has just gone from being the safe master teacher to now the Lord over even the seas, the lakes, the fish, and all of creation. He says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. And what's Jesus say? Oh, you're so horrible. You're right, Peter. You stink. You're a terrible sinful man. No, we're so, I, I don't know if you're like this. If I get one of those gaps where I don't read the Bible for a few days and then I sit down and open up my Bible, I'm always kind of almost like this. Like, what is God going to say to me today? You know what I mean? And God is, Jesus has never done that. If you miss being in here for a little while, Carson was sharing, they've been away. Like we never walk into the presence of Jesus and him be like, oh, you finally made it back. Didn't think you were ever going to get here. Or if you lose it on your boss or your kid or your spouse or your best friend or your roommate or your coworker, and then you come back into the presence of Jesus and he's like, hey, I saw that. Has God ever done that to you? Like put his hand like right here on your gut and said, I saw that. It's not condemnation. It's love and grace and mercy. So what has Jesus said? Not you're so horrible. No, he says, Peter, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to catch 
people. And at that, through that process, Peter then leaves everything. He leaves his boats. He leaves his fish. He leaves his nets. He leaves his family. He leaves, these guys are working with their dads, the scriptures. They leave their dads. They leave the money that they just made. They leave everything to follow Jesus. And so here's the process I want to share with you, because this is critical. This is how most of us came to follow Jesus. This is how most of the people you know are going to come to follow Jesus. Your family member, your neighbor, your coworker, your friend that you maybe pray for or want to see come to know God. This is the process that they are going to come to know Jesus by for the most part. One, Simon listened. Simon listened. There's that moment where you realize God is up to something and he gets your attention. That's what happens to Peter. Jesus is teaching. Simon's over here cleaning the nets. All that's happening is he is listening. Two, Simon comes into Jesus's world. Simon comes into Jesus's world. Now Simon is listening in Jesus's world because Jesus is sitting in his boat. So now what just went from casual, I'm over here, got no skin in the game. Now Jesus is leveraging Simon's boat and he is helping out. And so he's got your attention. Do you remember when Jesus began to get your attention? I love that moment. Uh, we, Natalie and I have been in ministry pastor, like I've been a pastor long enough to see that moment where God begins to get people's attention. There's a few of you in the room right now that have been journeying with Jesus long enough. I can literally remember the day that you just came and you were like Simon when he's just listening. And then that day where God began to get your attention and nobody had to invite you to come anymore. You just came because Jesus had gotten your attention, right? That is what happens here. Simon is now in Jesus's world. The next thing that happens is Jesus and Simon go into Simon's world together. This is the moment where we say, you know what, Jesus, I'm not really fully ready to follow you yet, but I actually want to invite you into the brokenness of my life. I want to invite you into the worst day of my career. I want to invite you into this relationship. I want to invite you into my finances. I want to invite you into what's going on in my life. It reminds me of this young lady we used to pastor named Emily Grant. Emily grew up somewhat religious, but Jesus had never gotten her attention and he began to get her attention. And I remember one night she sat in small group and she made this confession. She said, I've known about Jesus all my life, but I've never paid him any attention. And all of a sudden it's like, he's got my attention. She literally said that. And then she said this, I will never forget it. As long as I live, she goes, I guess you could say I have a crush on Jesus and I can't wait to see where this is going to go. Jesus had stepped into Emily's world and she was intrigued. And that's what happens with Simon. Jesus steps into Simon's world uh, and they go into it together. And then the next thing that happens, Jesus invites Simon into his life. Jesus invites Simon into his life and then Simon leaves it all to follow Jesus. Here's the thing. If I'm going to give you a couple notes this morning. Here we go. Let me give you just a couple things. One, Jesus will meet you where you are. Jesus will meet you where you are and he will meet your neighbor where he or she is. He will meet your friends, your family, where they are. Jesus is much more interested in us than we are in him. 
Because of sin, we just don't have the ability to just on our own turn to God, run to Jesus. Like we need God to come looking for us. And Jesus will meet us. He met Simon on his worst day. Jesus will meet you right where you are. He is much more interested in you than you are in him. And he's got his eye on you in love. See what my friend Emily said was so true. And she said, I have a crush on Jesus because the truth is Jesus was mad about Emily. Jesus was mad about Emily, and Jesus is mad about you and I. On your worst day, he loves you. On your best day, he loves you. But this is important. If you take one note today, I think this might be the note. He does not invite himself into your life. Jesus does not actually invite him. That's not his end goal, is to invite himself into your life. He invites you and me to leave everything and find life with him. See, a lot of us, if, if, if we're honest, a lot of us want a God who comes into our life, forgives our sin, gives us peace and joy and all that good stuff, but he doesn't demand everything of us. When he demands everything of us, then that gets a little risky. But Jesus doesn't say to Peter, hey, dude, I want to come be part of your life. And yeah, let's be fishing partners. And we're going to do a 50-50 split here on this. He doesn't invite himself into your life or my life. He invites us to leave everything and find life with him. All in, total surrender. Jesus is Lord. Go away from me, Lord. For I am a sinful person. And what does that look like? Does that mean, oh, pff, well, now I've got to quit my job and become a pastor? Trust me. You don't. You don't want to. Like, it's, <laughs> it is graying my hair and aging me really fast. Like, unless Jesus tells you to do it, don't do it. Some of you work in tech and finance and broadcasting and education and law enforcement and all kinds of different stuff, medical what you are doing is infinitely, I believe, more important in the grand scheme of things even than what I get to do. God has you on the front lines of mission. Just like Jesus entering to Simon's life, he has you doing the same thing in other people's lives. So he may not ask you, I doubt that he'll ask most of you to quit your job, to follow him. I, I doubt that for 99% of us, he's ever going to ask us to just sell our house and move to some other country or continent. I doubt he's going to ask you to give every single thing away to follow him. I doubt he's going to ask you to be a weirdo. Like that would be my biggest thing is Jesus, please just don't ask me to be a weirdo. Like, I don't want to be weird. I just want to be a normal person in this neighborhood, not the weird Protestant pastor guy. Like, uh, I just want to follow you, Lord, and be normal. He's not going to ask us to be a weirdo. Let me tell you what he does ask us to do. I think we have a scripture up of this. This is the other account, the shorter account where the movies are based on, where we get Jesus uh, asking the disciples to follow him. Here's the line he gives in Matthew 4.19. He says to Peter and his uh, fishing buddies, he says, follow me and I will be making you fishers of people. Follow me and I will be making you fishers of men, fishers of people. Um, that is what Jesus calls us all to, regardless of our profession, regardless of where we live, regardless of what we've done, when someone chooses to follow Christ, to join his mission, they're calling, they're accepting a call to three things. Let me walk you through them 
really quickly. Follow me, he says. Christ calls us to relationship. Jesus is calling people to relationship. Most people in our neighborhood and our city in this day and age don't realize that. They think that God wants them to be religious, but Christ is calling us. When we hear him say, follow me, he's talking relationship, not first about knowledge or behavior. Christ died to know us. Christ died to know us. Second, he says, I will be making you. Now, in most of our versions of the Bible, it will say, follow me and I will make you. But the verb is actually an ongoing verb. It says, I will be making you. Constantly, Jesus is making us. That word biblically is sanctification. It means that we become like Jesus. Jesus is changing us to be a Christian from the inside out. He conforms our desires and he shapes us to love him. And every event in your life and mine is meant to make us more like Christ. Got to hang out with Jamie the other night and we were talking about he had a car accident and a knee accident a few weeks ago on his way on separate nights to go play lacrosse. And my takeaway on that is, man, that is random. But you know what Jamie said? He goes, I think God didn't want me to play lacrosse this year. Like, it's so, it's such a good, like, I was like, dang, I just got burnt by Jamie. He's right. Maybe God was sending him signals. I don't know. I, I was like, I don't think God's doing anything like that. But the idea that Christ is entering into the details of our life and he's asking us on our best and worst days to follow him and see his involvement in our life as he is shaping us by the gospel is the idea when Jesus says, follow me and I will be making you. It's understanding every event through the lens of the gospel and God seeking to make us more like Christ. And then Jesus says, follow me, I will be making you fishers of people. And this one gets a little uncomfortable in Boston because we don't want to be offensive and we don't want people to think we're a bunch of weirdos. And we want to articulate, live our faith, and even share our faith in a way that is winsome and attractive, but we're sharing a message that is essentially offensive, right? And it's difficult to know how to do that. But Jesus says that he, when he calls us, he invites us to be fishers of people. That's not just for like the ninja Christians. That's for all of us who choose to follow him is to understand that he has a mission in this world and it includes you and I. And so wrapping up, let me share this. An all-in life of following Jesus. If you're all in with Jesus, it involves three things. And if you have a neighbor, you're one day at the park or you're talking with a coworker and they say, oh man, you follow Christ or you go to church. And they're like, what does that even look like? Here's what it is. It's three things. It's following Jesus. It's following Jesus relationally relationship too. It's being transformed by Jesus. God is changing me from the inside out. He's changing my desires. He's changing my affections. He's, he's evicting the old man that used to set up shop and have its way so that the things I used to love to do, I don't love to do quite as much anymore. And now God's giving me a new set of affections and he's changing me. So it's someone following Jesus being changed by Jesus, and then continuing the mission of Jesus. That's a disciple. Following Jesus, being changed by Jesus, continuing the mission of Jesus. That's what God's calling us to in this city. If you have friends or family members who one day say, I think I want to follow Christ, 
That's all you're asking them. Like, I think there's all this baggage that has nothing to do with this. We, we can literally kind of read this story or read the story of Zacchaeus or read the story of a tax collector. And we can think, oh, well, man, I got to sell everything. I got to quit my job. I'm going to have to move to a different continent. I'm going to have to, you know, do weird stuff and dress weird and act like a weirdo to follow Jesus. And it's not that at all. And in fact, I would say one reason I love being your pastor is because I think you guys are doing it in a really attractive way. You do it in a really beautiful way as you seek to follow Jesus, being shaped and transformed by Jesus, continuing the mission of Jesus. Let me pray for us.